Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Schulman. And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 3, Episode 14, Long Distance Call. Let's get this show on the road. Do you have any feelings about this episode to share with us? I hate this episode with the strength and power of 1,000 suns. <laughs> such vivid imagery. It just, it makes me so happy to hear you say how much you hate this episode. Not that I'm happy you hate an episode, which I love the vitriol with which you do so. I'm, I'm mixed on it. I generally, in the world of take it or leave it, I could definitely say this is a leave it episode. But I didn't hate it per se. It was bad, but I didn't hate it. And I'll be very curious to understand why that is from you. Shall I really briefly recap it? Yes, please. Let's go ahead and do that. Count me down. Three, two, one, go. Uh, the boys are looking for some more information regarding getting Dean out of his deal. They then decide to take a small break because Dean's tired of not getting answers. So they go after the flimsiest threat of a case possible, but a guy who committed suicide in Ohio because and apparently has to do with a phone call he's been receiving and tons of people are getting calls from dead people. There's a whole plot where they think they figure out what it is and it's completely not that. But then Dean gets a mysterious phone call thinking it might be Sam again. And oops, no, it's John because we needed more John in the series. Clearly, it wasn't John because he was being nice to Dean. So it couldn't have been John. In the end, it wasn't John. Sam figures out it's some sort of demon thing that can imitate people. So the whole first half of the episode was kind of like a waste of time, really, when you think about it. Sam encounters it. Sees a guy get killed, fights it, wins. Dean doesn't get killed or kill a random human. They reconvene kind of a conversation that is a little bit healthy at the end. Time. And you wonder why I hate this episode. It's one of those that really gets on my nerves because I feel like it's one of those wasted episodes where you have like the option of telling a good story and you end up with this. And it's upsetting. Oh, it's very, very much a missed opportunity. I feel like this was like watching a kid play t-ball and just keep missing the ball. Like, it's right there. There's no reason you're missing this other than you're really bad at this. Let's move briefly into the long game so that we can just hit a couple of nails on the head. Let's go. So this is another episode that goes by where Sam doesn't actually tell Dean about him having demon blood in him. And I mentioned this because like, well, first I feel like We've talked about this before, but I had never really realized how long this, like, quote-unquote, strategic omission actually went on. Like, this has been a whole season almost. And then the second reason why I want to talk about it is that in the first, like, five minutes of the episode, they talk about, like, who's keeping secrets from who, and it's like, <laughs> well, Sam is. I'd forgotten about it for so long, this whole demon blood thing. Like, it never really, like, went away, but it was never, like, top of mind until... Ruby's comment about like, oh, like Sam knowing things that he hasn't told Dean yet. And then now it's like constantly being lorded over us that Sam's got a secret. We also see another mention of busty Asian beauties. We do. It's part of the world building, I guess. Some super uh, fetishizing porn sites. So great. This is also the second time this season that Sam has to watch an innocent person get murdered in front of him. First being the poor dead gay intern in Ghost Facers. 
Why would you remind me of this? Because we love the poor dead gay intern. Well, that seems to sum up everything this episode had to really share with us. And I mean, really, when we're looking for busty Asian beauties, I feel like we're really reaching. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Shall we go to story time? (laughs) I think we must. All right. So this week we meet the boys in Basically, what looks like a university campus from what we're kind of gathering that the professor didn't know anything. And this is kind of like while they're trying to find more information about Dean's deal and how to break it. And they're coming up empty. But Dean kind of like redirects them to a different case, like you said in the recap, after Bobby tells him about it. Which seems weird because I feel like Bobby would not be giving them like, hey, here's a thing you can go do to distract yourself. Like. He clearly knows what they're doing and how important it is and how this is not the time to be going like, here's a side project to kill some time. You're kind of on a time budget here. Exactly. Really, I think this whole first scene is kind of like one of the reasons why I'm so annoyed with this episode, because just like you, I'm annoyed that Bobby would send them on a different case because I really feel like Bobby would want to focus on trying to break Dean's deal too. To look at the other side of the coin for a second, I could see Bobby, who knows the boy surprisingly well, understand how frustrating this can be, giving Dean a really, what seems like, it almost even excuses the fact that it's such a no, like, detailed case. Like, really, what did they have to go off of? Um, Some weird static and a guy who took his own life? Like, it kind of feels very flimsy for a supernatural case. But this could have been Bobby being like, just... Go do something and leave me alone for 20 minutes so I can work. This this almost feels like a parent giving a child like a menial task to get out of their hair for a bit. So I I side with you more. I'm just playing devil's advocate, which I know is a terrible expression and I hate doing it. But I think in this case, it does kind of work. I agree and understand. And at the same time, I'm still kind of like I love this narrative explanation. I just don't know. That that's what's really happening, like intent versus interpretation kind of thing. So that's why I'm annoyed. But I fully, fully take this narrative explanation and I I accept it. Just for visual here, for anybody who is listening, I currently have my hoodie over my head and like tied up in a knot at the bottom of my chin. So I'm looking quite goofy on the FaceTime. So if you hear Drew just kind of like laughing a little bit on his own that's just because he's seeing my face and i look like a giant baby (laughs) this is a little giant baby (laughs) there you go the second reason why this scene annoys me is because i'm really really tired of dean's facade in that moment scenes like this are what made me dislike dean when i first watched the show And I know that that's a really unpopular thing to talk about and kind of almost a taboo thing to talk about, but that's really how I felt. Like I was so done with him in that moment. I was like, can't you just for once pretend to care? And I just like, I wanted to reach in and just like shake him a little bit. I need to break away from story for a moment because I feel like this is such a writer issue. Because so many times we've had episodes end where, like the last few, where he ends with opening up to Sam about how he feels and getting things off his chest and they connect. And then the episode begins. They're like, well, shit, we need them to go on a case. How do we do that? I don't know. Dean does a Dean. 
Like they're literally just re they're like undoing the work they did in the previous episode to force conflict. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for putting it into words because like you said, every time that a new episode starts, it feels like Dean is devolving. And I was thinking specifically about like Dream a Little Dream of Me, where it's so clear and he is so clear and vocal about not wanting to die. And like, it feels like this is all gone in this moment. And of course, like, again, narratively, I understand why he why he is that way like i understand the justification that can be found which is like you know of course he can't pretend to care because when he cares he gets hurt blah 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 he's shielding himself but i feel like we're given like these little tidbits of growth that are like given at the end of an episode and then get taken away the following episode and so like there's never real growth over time in the season and that really profoundly annoys me yeah, it's very video gamey in the sense of like, if you don't follow the storyline the game puts out for you, you end up being like over leveled. So you encounter something that should be really hard and it's really easy. And then like the cutscene plays and it's like, oh, that was the toughest fight ever. It's like I took him out in two swings of my sword because I'm like 800 levels too high. What do you mean it was difficult? But the story has to fit the way the story wants to fit. Yeah, and I mean, this is network television, right? So, of course, like, this is, we're, we're kind of, I'm complaining about the format at the moment and the, the actual medium, not the show necessarily. I just, I don't know why. This episode, it's so apparent. Because it's the flimsiest. Put the writer head on for a second. Had they been investigating something related to saving Dean and that led them to this town where the dead are speaking and that somehow tied into their plan to speak to somebody and then oh whoops it's actually a demon and not the dead speaking there could have at least been some sort of like okay this was an attempt to save Dean and it led us down the wrong path but we got to save people versus I'm tired of trying to save my life I want to go hunt a ghost that is so accurate and I think that a lot of seasons actually suffer from that but i think in this moment it's just so apparent probably because it is very flimsy thank you for using that word i feel like it's very appropriate word of the day <laughs> speaking of flimsy i would like to point something out point away so dean is always saying to sam that ruby is lying to him that demons lie etc cetera, etc cetera. like we've heard that line a bunch of times like she's using you but for some reason he's really quickly accepting the idea that no one can get him out of the deal. Like it's some kind of inescapable truth. And that also comes from Ruby. So like, why is he so certain that she would tell him the truth if he keeps saying that she lies? So are you implying that possibly there is a way to save him and Ruby does know, but is lying because she wants him dead as part of her master plan? Don't answer me. I answered my own question. That is amazing. And now my whole I love and hate Ruby thing is going up and down again. No matter no matter who is right or what happens at the end of this season, you know, like putting that aside, why is he so certain that she lies, but she's not lying about this one specific thing that she said to him? Like, again, it feels flimsy. Only thing I could foresee in this is that that moment where they did have that like one moment of communication, he, he felt Dean felt that he was speaking to the human side of Ruby for the only, like up and any other time they've met it's demon Ruby. And in that one moment she showed her humanity 
and Dean really saw the human in her, which I think is really big of Dean to do to even admit that exists. But also, I think it also just comes down to Dean is so pessimistic. It could easily be argued like, well, maybe Sam also feels that way, that she acts a certain way with people. But then like with him, she feels very personable and kind and human. All right, let's fast forward a little bit to the conversation between Sam and Dean, like just after Dean gets the phone call from John. This is actually the first time where Dean sounds like really sincere, I found. He's like, well, what if he calls back? What, what do I say? And I think that he's like genuinely asking Sam in that moment. And again, Sam can't meet him there. I feel like we're getting an echo of that red sky at morning dynamic again that had us like bumping heads a little bit. Dean is being open after being closed off earlier and Sam can't meet him where he's at. And so Dean shuts down. And in this episode, he actually walks out of the room. So Dean makes up kind of like a big deal about Sam's response, which is just say hello, which kind of comes off as like sarcastic and not caring. But I think is more of Sam just not understanding the weight of the situation to the way Dean does. I agree. But I'm willing to bet you all the money I have that had the roles been reversed and Sam got the call and asked Dean, what do I say? Somebody calls that would have been Dean's answer, but it would have been played off as snarky and he would have been totally cool with it. Maybe. Honestly, I hadn't thought about it that way, but yeah. And I, I, I mean, honestly, I don't think that Sam was being snarky. If I'm being entirely honest, like that's not how I read the situation, but definitely like he didn't understand why this was so important to Dean and Dean didn't understand that Sam, like basically they're, they're, they're like ships in the night, right? Like they're not in the same space emotionally in that moment. But it really just feels to me like Sam was still trying to understand the situation and like connect. And the fact that he didn't immediately jump to the like, oh boy, dad's on the phone just like shook Dean the wrong way and he had to get away to kind of like collect himself because Dean still has this like though we have discussed so often his understanding that John is not a good father and he has come to learn this he's still constantly put in his place by the thought of John and he can't leave that alone it's like 30 years of or 25 to 30 years of like conditioning you don't just like shake that off we talked a little bit earlier about Dean trusting Ruby when she said that no one can help him. And I think that it's important to say that he's also putting a lot of trust into the voice on the phone that claims to be John. And I want to break that down a little bit with you. Like we just talked about, I feel like it's kind of obvious that Dean would be predisposed to listen to John because of all the conditioning that he's had during those years. But Dean also knows that his dad is dead. He saw him after he died. He saw him literally crawl out of hell and like presumably into heaven. And this case is about people getting calls from their dead loved ones. Like this is not, there's nothing that's saying that like, he should know better than to think that that's his dad is my, is my point here. Given the amount of experience these boys have with all of this and the fact they like, had they come into the situation because they found out about the calls and no one had been killed or died yet, that'd be one thing. The fact that someone has already had an encounter like this, where the mysterious person tried to convince them to kill themselves and succeeded in this case, 
that alone should have been enough for even Dean to go like, okay, let's look into this now. Let me even the like prove your dad kind of thing. And I know he kind of asks and he goes like, you'll have to just believe me. And he goes, okay. At best, he's talking to a spirit and he knows that even spirits aren't the same people that they were when they were alive, right? Like that's the best case scenario. He's talking to his dad's spirit. And like he had no problem in season one not trusting Azazel when he was possessing John. And he looked and sounded like him in that moment, right? Except the fact that he was a little too nice. Which again, this phone call also was very nice to him. Let's put a pin in all that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm kind of intrigued as to why he was so eager to trust this voice over the phone that claimed to be his dad. I'm sort of thinking that maybe the answer lies in faith. Yeah, there's this level of Dean that just no matter how far he gets himself away, it's almost like an addict. Like, you know, you can go so many years without drinking or smoking or whatever it is you're, you're fighting. And then it just like one bad case and you can slip right back to where you started. Like, I know that isn't the case. For everybody, I'm generalizing. I, I'm not making assumptions here, but it feels very much like he makes, you know, two steps forward. And then immediately slides back down the hill. I would be really careful with equating faith to addiction, but I understand what you're trying to say. Like, I, I understand the visual that you're trying to put there. It's kind of interesting because in this case, like when it comes to faith, we've seen, like you said, in seasons one and part of season two, like they're the brothers' different approaches to it. And in this episode, we're kind of like tossed that ball again. When Sam says, like, the fact is that we've got no hard proof here, Dean. After everything, you're still just going on blind faith. And then Dean replies, yeah, well, maybe, you know, maybe that's all I got, okay? Because the last time that Dean was about to die, what saved him was, in fact, blind faith. Remember the blind preacher in faith in season one? That is so good. I hate it. <laughs> We've looped back around. We hate this episode so much. We love it. We love it so much. We hate it. Let's put words on subtext here. I'm actually kind of mad at the writers for bringing up my favorite episode in an episode that I dislike so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's like kind of upsetting, actually. <laughs> I took a bit of a deep dive into a symbol that we see in this episode, and that's the star that appears in the motel room. In the room separator, there's like this eight-pronged star. I just, just, just started taking a tarot class. The star is card number 17 in the Major Arcana. And the star basically represents like limitless opportunities and the trust or faith that you can take in knowing that what's yours will find you. Literally, faith with an asterisk of careful what you put your faith into. Well, if that isn't uh, on the nose. And I really think that the final scene brings home that message. And I mean, it often does in these episodes, right? Like finally the theme is kind of revealed in the last scene. In this one, you know, it, it kind of, well, I feel vindicated personally because like it really goes into this idea that you can't just have blind faith. But of course, like Dean being who he is and having lived what he's lived through kind of turns it into this like, Nothing and no one can save me. The only person that can save me is me. And sure, Sam replies, and me. But do you, do you think that Dean really believes him? 
I mean, especially given the way he reacts to Sam, and albeit it does come across kind of snarky in the way he responds to him, the fact that he gave that entire heartfelt speech about how he could only believe in himself and blind faith, that entire time neglects the person who's been sitting next to him, doing everything in his power to save him. It's just a really kind of bitter end to this episode. Ultimately, not a great episode. <laughs> like, I feel like most of this was harping on it, and rightfully so. And this ending doesn't help. I know. And you know what? I'm sure that someone is going to say, I love this episode. And oh my God, I <laughs> like, this is wonderful. It has potential. I think it really had potential. They just took a lot of missteps. I agree. And a lot of the messaging that's in there is really interesting. Like the whole thing about faith, like the fact that finally we're getting like this idea of like faith back into the show, which is something that's so interesting to me. Anyway, like selfishly, I like that aspect, but I just feel like the whole construction of it is flimsy. <laughs> Shall we head over to critical time? Yes. Who, who took the missteps this week and led to this episode's creation? So let's just mention that Robert Singer was the director for this one. And this season, he's directed Bad Day at Black Rock, as well as Malleus Maleficarum. Now, the writer was Jeremy Carver. And this season, he wrote Sin City, A Very Supernatural Christmas, and Mystery Spot with Emily McLaughlin. You had said that his next episode should be better than Mystery Spot. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Okay, so now I've got to continue the cycle. We now have a three-episode cycle. We have a very eh episode, a very fun episode, and then, like, a golden episode. So the next one should be definitely upper tier, and then we can expect an amazing one again, and then we'll see if the cycle repeats again after that. But I'm watching you, Carver. You, you're playing yo-yo with my heart here, buddy. Anything lore related that you'd like to discuss with us this week? Oh, yes. And I'd like to take a different angle today. So I'm, 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 pre I'm prefacing this time. Strap one in for a little story. Imagine yourself living in a home. Nothing fancy, but it's a simpler time and a simple life. You and your dog tend to the field and cattle every day. Your quiet farm by the woods. One day you wake and find your dog missing. The fields are widespread endlessly through the African savannas the continent only broken up by the farms of your neighbors and the trees of the forest. He's wandered off before. It's not that abnormal. Not a concern. At least not yet. Your manual labor continues late into the day. Still no sign of your canine companion. However, you thought you heard him and caught something out of the corner of your eye. You try and adjust your vision to better see into the woods, but as the sun sets and the sky becomes a golden weight pressing down on the world, you think you make out what may be a dog? but it's hard to focus on it. As it walks between shadows and trees, though for a second, and only just a second, you think maybe it was looking back, and maybe it had smiled? A smile that was just a bit too wide. That night you are awoken. As you hear someone scream, you grab the first of the farming tools you can find to defend yourself, and you exit your home. You try and listen to the voice to pinpoint its location. Again a scream. What almost sounds like your name this time. You can tell it's coming from the woods, and whoever it is sounds hurt, young, and scared. You call back as you rush forward, the line of darkness created by the trees blocking the moon and stars. 
you step foot across the threshold into the domain that is no longer your own land. And as it was lying in wait, something pounces and takes you down. The last thing you see is the elongated mouth containing two rounded bones where teeth should be, and hear it say your name as everything fades away. You were just devoured by a crocata, a creature native to Ethiopia and India, said to be part dog or part wolf, or in some cases even part lion. The creature can be defined by its giant smiling mouth, with no teeth but two gapless bone wedges where teeth should be, and most creepy of all, its ability to mimic other animals or even human speech. As with many creatures of myth, it may simply be less scary than we think it is, and maybe just a misunderstood creature that humans at the time had not fully come to understand. I mean, can you not picture some kind of dog-like creature? Maybe not with human speech, but maybe something that sounds like a human laughter? Could this simply have been an exaggerated story passed along about a yet undiscovered hyena? Or was it something more? Um, I don't like it. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I love the 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 reading. I I just I yeah, okay. Hum. So I've been watching Criti Criminal Minds, and yet this is what's going to haunt my nightmares. Thank you for that. <laughs> I'm very sorry. I, I hoped my ending would at least levity it a bit. The idea that uh, much, much to researchers, um, you know, chagrin this creature, despite being described in so many off ways and having such creepy characteristics, it really just seems like an exaggeration of what really is a hyena. I mean, they have these large mouths. They are very doggish, wolfish, kind of have that more of like the haunches of a lion. And I mean, hyenas do have a very human-like laughter. And like any, you know, tall tale being spread from community to community, I mean, this creature was uh, was discovered depicted in ancient Roman texts as well and was actually called out for being brought over from India. Oh, well, that explains something that I'm thinking about for later, actually. So, huh. Okay. Interesting. And what do you have to share with us this week? I have some thoughts about Stewie. So he's a South Asian man. And now that I know that the Krakata is actually from India, perhaps he's meant to depict an Indian man, but it's not quite clear. It's never said. So South, South Asian. And so he's depicted as like this tech guy who's like lonely, dirty, and horny. I think that this might be the first time that we see a South Asian man or even a South Asian person with a speaking part on the show. And he's basically shown with a, like, through a xenophobic stereotype. And we know that he turns out, like, not to be the villain. But again, like, we're seeing the show leverage these negative stereotypes to depict a person of color. And so in the end, like, I don't really care that he's not a villain if he's still depicted with these negative traits, just to reinforce like a white supremacist worldview. And I just, I just think that Stewie deserved better. There's so many things. Like I think this is the most valid and most important angle is the fact that he was very much shown through this negative stereotypical view. But I feel like it's also a negative stereotype of just IT guys in general, which is unfortunate. As someone who works in IT, I take it personally. Even like, Sam just assuming he was the villain. Like, just speaks so poorly of Sam, like in that one moment where Sam is usually so much smarter than this. 
I think it also speaks to that whole like, you know, IT being outsourced to India kind of stereotype as well. Do you have any reflections or calls to action this week? We've talked about this episode being about faith. There's examples of like, quote unquote, good faith, like the faith that Dean could have in his ability to solve the problem at hand, or quote unquote, bad faith, like believing that some voice over the phone that sounds like your dad is about to give you some sort of magical exorcism to be able to get out of your deal. So I guess my call to action this week is to really pay attention to where I put my faith and my trust, whether that's people or institutions, and not to necessarily do anything about it, but just to notice who I trust. I feel like this has become redundant at this point to repeat, but I will repeat it once again. I am in a very similar vein to yours. I really felt that everyone was sort of jumping to conclusions in this episode. Everyone just accepted things at face value. Just, I mean, like literally the expression of like, don't assume, like makes an ass out of you and me. In this case, mostly dead of some people and murdered of other people. It just reminds me to... Just be a little wary. Like, yours, I feel like where ours differ is mine is less where you put your faith. But just when something is presented to you, at least do the due diligence of asking the right questions. I, I hate the cliches, but they're cliche for a reason. You know, if something is too good to be true, it usually is. I mean, good things happen. I don't want this to be a pessimistic, like, you know, never accept the good in life. Like, good things happen. But sometimes you just have to look at it and go okay, let me just do my research, make sure I'm on the right page before accepting. Good things do happen, Dean. Let's go have a look at what the community has to say. This week, we have a voicemail from Kemi. Hi, my name is Kemi, and I wanted to discuss Drew's point from the last episode regarding Dean having a sketchbook and doodling things when he was younger. I've always perceived Dean as the most creative of the two brothers. I truly believe the show emphasized it through different aspects over the years. I'm going to mention some that stuck with me. I'll try my best not to spoil anything important for Drew. In the first season, episode 4, entitled Phantom Traveler, Dean made the EMF reader out of a Walkman, which was very creative. It makes me think that building things with his hands is very much something he enjoys. And since Sam didn't look impressed by it, we can only assume that people around Dean don't seem to understand his interests. Season 4, Episode 3, entitled In the Beginning, there is a drawing framed on the wall of Dean's room. Not only does it look advanced, but the frame sends the message that his parents valued his creativity. It could also indicate that Dean was a kid that drew a lot. In Season 9, Episode 7, Bad Boys, Dean mentions that he always wanted to be a rock star. He dreams of having a life where he could have been an artist and be free of people's expectations. I can only imagine that for John, having a son that showed interest in art was probably not well perceived or celebrated. In season 12, episode 7, we see him pick up a guitar and randomly play some chords. He also sings multiple times on the show. I have to mention... The Best Jury. It's a book that came out in 2017 and I believe it is canon to the show, though I'm not really sure about the latter. Just like John's journal is filled with monsters and creatures the boys encountered. 
is told from Sam and Dean's perspective, and we get to have a whole book illustrated by Dean, since he specifically wrote Cast and Tree and did this beautiful drawing of him, and we can only assume he did the rest of the sketches for the journal. To conclude, Dean loves art, he listens to music all the time, he uses music as a way to communicate his feelings with people, he loves to sing, he draws, he can write deep and meaningful things. I personally believe he would have become an artist in another life. Of course, a life where being creative is celebrated, where people around him understand that being an artist is as valuable as any other job. Even when people or even the show persist in saying that he got his taste in music from his father, I truly believe he got into music because he genuinely loves it. Because if it was the case, Sam would have been into it as well, but he isn't. And that's because Dean is married but... That's a story for another time. I'd say that Dean used to draw because it's something that helped him cope with things he had to see or do as a kid, like struggling to express his feelings, his sexuality for instance, or the monsters he had to kill. And let's remember that he didn't speak for a year after witnessing his mother dying and their house burned down. It's about expressing himself, so it feels quite fitting that it was taken away from him. It explains why as an adult he's more closed off to people since he doesn't get to express himself freely in any other way. Maybe this assessment says more about how I see Dean, but I can't wait to hear what you have to say about this. And I just want to add that I appreciate you doing the special episode on DenvaCon. It was nice to know that others feel the same, so that we don't have to keep those feelings to ourselves and pretend that nothing happened. Thank you for that, and for listening to my not-so-clear voicemail. Kemi, my dear, your voicemail was not unclear at all. It was perfectly clear. We understood everything. And I have to say that whenever we get a voicemail where, you know, people like take very specific examples from specific episodes, I'm always cheering as I'm listening because I know the amount of work that goes into those. They always give me the, a lot of food for thought when it comes to like the narrative of the show. So thank you for your taking the time that I know it took in order to do this as somebody who does this <laughs> a lot. I also want to briefly say thank you for noting DenverCon and the episode that we did about that. We were a little bit weary about perhaps getting some, well, some lashing out, I guess, uh, but there really wasn't. Everybody was quite supportive and it's turned out to be one of our most popular episodes. So I guess thank you all for for kind of like welcoming it and welcoming like what we had to say about it. I feel like I need to put something like out there because I feel that because of my comments in the Canon or Fanon episode where I was saying that it's Fanon that Dean plays guitar, I have now become the spokesperson for like, Dean is not creative, which I swear, I don't believe that. I, <laughs> it was an honest mistake. I agree with every every instance that you pointed out, and I really do think that Dean would do really well in art therapy and using art and different ways of expressing himself differently, whether that's drama therapy, music therapy, or, or any of those, those options in order to be able to express his feelings. Like we just talked today in this episode about how hard it is for him sometimes to express himself and using a different medium is what I think would work best for him because we've seen it in different in different instances. So again, thank you very much for this lovely voicemail.
I always love someone just coming in here and praising my thought process. It's a nice little like pat on my ego, pat on the back. I mean, sorry, um, but it was a super lovely voicemail. Can you thank you? I love these examples. I can't wait to get to them so I can kind of see them in like motion. I now need to go look up this book because I want to see this illustration that in canon Dean has done of Cass because that's an exciting thought. And I still haven't met Cass. I just know so much about him <laughs> soon. I love this, like taking these little instances. Like I don't want to harp on this, but the idea of like Dean canonically never actually sits down to full on play the guitar, just strums here and there kind of thing. That's why we kind of went with the, it's not necessarily Canon. And again, we've now renegotiated this getting these little tiny clues here and there that help us build this larger narrative of this artsy creative side to Dean is so exciting to me. And just knowing that it's coming and we'll be able to discuss those little bits as they come up is super fun. Big thank you for this amazing voicemail and sharing with us. And again, I felt so, I don't want to say blind going into the Denver con conversation, but I felt very like I couldn't do as much as you or JJ could marry because of my distance from the fandom, given my place in the podcast. It helped me understand so much of what's going on now, even when I'm not fully in depth. And I thought that was really nice. So I'm happy we got to do it. And I'm happy that people enjoyed hearing it. And I'm happy that people were able to get something good out of it. So thank you for letting us know that as well. And thank you for this voicemail. Let's go make some deals. Let's go make some deals. As a crossroads deal should be, the thing I'm giving up is difficult. Ooh, okay. So the thing I'm giving up is, and despite how much I enjoyed it this episode, would be our creature of the week. I love the Krakota. I think it was a great creature. I think they did, with the information I could find online at least, I think they did a really good example. I think a lot of the more historically accurate bits were kind of missing, but like the basic theme and the idea of this cool creature and this really interesting power loved it all. So it pains me to say that I want to get rid of it because I think the spirit phone would have been a cooler thing. <laughs> <laughs> like I kind of want to see like what the episode would have been had it actually been the spirit phone some janitor plugged it in for the first time in a few thousand years and accidentally triggered it. And they have to deal with the ghost of Edison. And in the end, it's totally a harmless thing, but they have to shut it off for safety. And it's kind of this whole like moral lesson. Like, I think it could be such a fun episode. So <laughs> give up the demon. I want ghost phone. <laughs> That's my crossroads deal. What do you got? <laughs> this is a surprise. I'm not often speechless, but I am right now. <laughs> All right, let's wipe the laughter tears out of my eyes. On my end, I'm going to do a very messy Crossroads deal because, as you know, I dislike this episode to begin with. So, like, moving aside, like, my really firm belief that Stewie deserved better, I still have so many questions about this episode. Like, why did the demon even take the time to infiltrate the phone company if he could make play phones ring? Why did the demon have all of the victims kill themselves, but it sent Dean on a wild demon goose chase? I can explain that one away with like, how do you convince Dean to do this? You just needed like a death. But how is it getting the spirit juice from people when they like die in ways that are nowhere near him? <sighs> exactly. Like the visual that we got from when it killed Stewie was very like Dementor-like, right? When it was like sucking out the soul of 
that's like the first thing that kind of like jumped into my mind. So I absolutely agree with you. Like, how does the demon actually feed off of the people when it's not there to kind of like collect the souls? Like, is it a collect call? No, we're done. Episode's over. That's the line. We're done. You do not need to be a dad in order to make dad jokes. (laughs) Uh. Honestly, like overall, I feel like the audience also deserved better. Like we deserved... We just deserved a better episode overall, frankly. That's why I said spirit phone. <laughs> spirit phone. <laughs> ring, ring, ring. Banana phone. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. Thank you to our Bunker patrons, Katira and Michelle, for their generous support. This week, we'd like to thank Camille for their message. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a three-minute voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at carryingwayward. And leave us a rating and a review on your podcast service of choice. Don't forget to join our Patreon for perks and extra content. You can use the link in all of our social media bios or go directly to patreon.com slash carryingwayward. Carry on our wayward friends. Mwah, mwah. Uh, oh, oh no.